so open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to continue in our uh, Daniel series, and we are in part 6 of the Daniel series. Um, and if you recall, our Daniel series has to do with, you know, courage, um, having, having real faith, and, and learning wisdom. And tonight, from Daniel chapter 4, uh, we're going to talk about uh, blessed from brokenness. Blessed from brokenness. And so in Daniel chapter 4, it's, um, it's a really unique chapter in how it's written. Um, it's really, it's really uh, interesting the way that it, that it is written in the Word of God. Um, part of it is written as a letter from uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And then part of it is a narrative by Daniel, and then it ends with that letter from King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and so just to remind you about the King Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, he's the king of Babylon. Um, he is not the friendliest of people. Um, he is a rage monster, egomaniac, really into himself. He is the king of the known world at this time. So he really thinks of himself that way. He refers to himself as the king of kings. And um, his, word, his name, Nebuchadnezzar, actually means uh, Nebu, protect my eldest son. So one of his uh, false gods um, that last week we learned that the big uh, idol that he built, the big golden idol, was either two, one of two gods, and one of them could have been uh, Nebu, in, in which he was named after. Um, and, and the, the Daniel chapter four begins with the king. Did y'all hear that thunder? If you didn't hear it, we just heard it. Um, so it begins with the king praising God in a humble and thankful attitude. So Nebuchadnezzar starts this letter thanking God in humility and which first of all, immediately the reader should be confused. Immediately from what we know from just the first three chapters, we know that that's not who Nebuchadnezzar is. Uh, for, from his previous behavior, what we know, he isn't humble. In fact, he is the opposite of humble. He thinks very highly of himself. Again, remember I said that he called himself the king of kings. He is the ruler of the known world. He is an egomaniac. He is controlling. He is emotional. He is rage-filled. And he's an idol-worshiping monarch. That's what we know just from the first three chapters of Daniel and from history. Uh, we know that that's what Nebuchadnezzar's like. So uh, that's not the way he starts this letter. He starts it in a very humble and thanking God fashion. And then he goes on to explain why he is behaving this way. What changed him forever? And tonight we're going to read some verses directly, but some I'm going to kind of give a recap of. But I just want to really encourage you to, to read Daniel chapter 4 on your own and just see how, what a cool chapter this is and how it's laid out in the Word of God. I want to really encourage you to do that. So it starts in verse 1, in very typical fashion from a king. Uh, verse 1 in Daniel 4 says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. So this is kind of just your traditional introduction of a letter from a king. Hey, this is the king to everyone, okay? Then it gets weird. 
peace be multiplied to you. And you're like, wait a second, what? This is from King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Like, I, I, I don't quite understand this. He's essentially saying, I wish you peace and great wealth. This doesn't sound like typical King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, history tells us a lot about him. First of all, you know, he and his father, they conquered uh, Syria. Uh, he destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and he, he took the nation of Israel captive, right? Uh, in fact, uh, he built the Hanging Gardens, uh, which is one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. I mean, he's very well known. And then we know just in the word of God in chapter one, uh, we, we know that he's known to chop off your head if you don't listen to him. Like it says, uh, he's going to chop off my head if I don't do what he says. In chapter two, we, we, we learn about him that, that uh, all of his magicians and, and all the people that all of his wise men that he called them, they couldn't interpret his dream, that he couldn't even tell them what the dream was. And because they couldn't interpret it, he says, okay, well, then we're just going to kill and destroy all of you. So, and then in chapter three, we learned last week that he threw the, the, the three, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he threw them into the fire for not bowing to this big golden idol that he created, and his rage cost the lives of innocent people. That's the kind of person we're dealing with with King Nebuchadnezzar. And now we're having him wishing peace to people. That's not who he is. So you might say, well, what happened? Verse 2. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. It seems good to me to show you what God's done. He wants to share the testimony of what God has done in his life. Because clearly there's been a change. Clearly something has happened, and there's a change that he wants to tell the world about. Remember, he's the king of the known world. He says uh, to everyone in the, on the earth, I want to tell you about what God's done for me. Verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Verse 3 here, he is, okay, verse 2, I want to tell you what God did for me. And verse 3, he starts worshiping God. He starts to declare the goodness of God, the one true God of Israel. This is a proclamation from the king to the people. I don't know about you, but I read this, and I can almost hear him singing this phrase, the goodness of God, that his kingdom is forever and forever. And you're like, what happened? How did this happen to this king? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So we find out that uh, in verses 4 through 7, he says everything was going great in his life. Everything was going smooth, uh, the way that he wanted it to happen. But then he has another dream. If you remember back in chapter 2, he has this big dream, big prophetic dream about the coming uh, Messiah. So now he has this dream, and it freaks him out. He is afraid of this dream. So he calls all the wise men back in. He calls them in, all the astrologers, the magicians, and, and all the guys who couldn't interpret his first dream. He calls them in first. 
And guess what? They can't explain this dream either. Surprise, surprise. They couldn't do the first one, and now they can't do the second one. So finally, he turns to Daniel in verse 8 for this interpretation. If you remember back in, in chapter 2, Daniel was the only one who was able to interpret that first dream. Do you remember that? It's been several weeks, or actually months, since we studied chapter 2. But he was the only one. So, so why wasn't he the first one that the king calls this time? Me, I'm reading this first, and I'm like, listen. All those guys couldn't do it in the first place, so why didn't you call the one who did do it right the first time? And there's a bunch of reasons why, really. I mean, it could be pride. <clears throat> Obviously, King is really into him, right? He's very prideful. Uh, and, you know, because then if, if, if Daniel gets this one right, it proves that Daniel's God is better than his God's. Because the God of, of Daniel has been able to help him to interpret these dreams, and, and his God's haven't worked out for him. Maybe he's just stubborn. I'm going to do it my way first because I know what's best for my life. I like that Sinatra song, you know, I'll do it my way, right? So may, maybe that's his thought, but, but guess what? You know, we're the same way, right? We're the exact same way. We know that God is where we should turn first. We know that everyone in this room knows that. Everyone, most of the people that are hearing my voice right now know that God is where we should turn first and that we should to surrender to his will because he always leads us in the right direction every time. And he's never let us down one time. But we always try to do it our way first. We always try to prove that we know how to do it or we turn to like ungodly people for their advice. Like, I wonder what Oprah or my astrology sign says I should do in this situation. Let me put it out there on Twitter and see what responses I get and see if that's going to work out for me or Instagram or TikTok or whatever you want to use. But we know, we know that we should always turn to the Lord first in prayer, search his word, seek godly advice. Why is prayer always the last resort and not our first response? I just don't get it. It's all of us. I'm not here like telling you you're wrong because we all do it. Why is prayer not our first response? Why is it always our last resort? So anyways, Daniel's here now, verse eight. It says, at last, Daniel came in before me. Like finally, the last one to come. He comes in before me. Again, this is Nebuchadnezzar writing the letter. So this is a narrative from his point of view. Came in before me. He who is named Belshazzar after the name of my God and in whom the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream. So did y'all notice something about verse eight? At last, Daniel came in before me. This is the first time he's ever referred to Daniel by his Hebrew name. First time. He's always referred to him as Belshazzar. Because if you recall, they renamed everybody. Remember? Everyone's Hebrew name didn't count anymore. They tried to, to, to uh, uh, change who they were by labeling them with this label. And so they gave them this name. And it was always had something to do with some false god. In fact, Belshazzar means may, may Baal or Bel protect his life, which is another one of their false gods. And the name Daniel means God will judge. So he's referring to 
Daniel by his Hebrew name and explains why he renamed him originally to honor one of his false gods. It's almost like the king is taking this opportunity to kind of repent of that, right? Like that, that's how I read it anyway. It's almost like, and then Daniel came, who I used to call this name after a false god. It's almost like, listen, I need to go ahead and repent, or I need to go ahead and say, listen, this was wrong of me. This is something I did incorrectly. So here comes Daniel. And then in verses 9 through 18, uh, he explains the dream to Daniel. He, the king tells Daniel exactly what's going on. Basically, his dream is this. There's this massive tree, right? This huge tree that went all the way up to the, it says into the heavens, basically all the way up to the sky so that the whole world could see this tree. The whole world could see it. The tree was the source of food and, and protection and a place to live for people and for animals. I mean, it's this humongous tree that was just this gorgeous, massive, beautiful tree. And then, and then in the dream, this, this watcher or this, uh, it says this holy angel comes down from heaven and he says, chop the tree down, strip it of its leaves and everything that it has, but leave the stump and its roots with an iron and, iron and bronze band around it. So cut down this tree, just leave the stump. And then it says, and let, let the stump live among the animals. Let its mind change to the mind of an animal and let it stay this way for seven years. And then the point of this happening, the point of the tree coming down and living like an animal for seven years, the angel explains, is for the world to see that the Most High God rules and he is sovereign over the whole earth and over everything in the earth. And it's God who puts people in power and it's God who can take it all away, that he's got the whole world in his hands. That's what the angel explains. So, so then the king tells Daniel, that no one, none of the magicians, none of the astrologers, no one could explain what this dream means to me, what it means. So now, Daniel, I need you to explain it to me. So the king continues his letter by explaining what Daniel told him. And then in verse, uh, turn over to verse 19. It says, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar, or Daniel, answered and said, my lord, may the dream, and that word may means I wish. Basically, I wish this dream were for those who hate you and its interpretation were for your enemies. Daniel's feeling pretty uncomfortable right now. And he's very afraid says he's dismayed. You can see it written all over his face. Something's going on in Daniel right now. And the reason why he's afraid and the reason why he's uncomfortable is because he immediately knew what the dream meant. And it wasn't good news. He knew that the king did not like bad news. And the king typically raged out when he heard bad news. And Daniel was so uncomfortable with the outcome of this dream that it was he was visibly upset about it that the king recognized it and even commented on it. 
because he was about to tell him some bad news, but it was the truth. And sometimes, students, you'll understand what I mean in just a moment, but sometimes witnessing to people, sometimes telling people about Jesus can be very uncomfortable, right? It can be really awkward. It can be really scary, right? It can be really scary to tell people the truth that they are not going to like, and you know they're not going to like it before you even say it. Talking about sin is not easy. Uh, talking about hell and eternal punishment is not really a fun conversation to have. And telling, and this is the big one, this is the big one. Telling people that Jesus is the only way to heaven and the only way to be made right with God, it isn't normally received well. And people will lash out in anger and rage when you tell people that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. But we, like Daniel, have to tell the truth. We have to tell the truth. And we have to tell the truth in love. Because, and the reason I say that is because Daniel says that he wishes it wasn't about the king. Dan, listen, king, I wish this, that, that this wasn't about you. This news I'm about to give you, I wish it was about your enemies. Why? Because he cares. He cares about the king. And we should care about the people that we're telling Jesus about too. But loving and caring for people should never deter us from the truth. In fact, listen, in fact, caring and loving people should make us want to tell them the truth even more of their impending doom and warn them before they're about to fall. Right? Because if you saw someone that you love or even someone you knew really well and they were, I don't know, distracted on their phone and they were about to walk into oncoming traffic, would you not say, stop? Would you not? Even if you didn't love them, even if you just liked them a little bit, you would not want to see them die because you saw their impending doom. They were going to die. Or would you just say, well, it's their life. It's their truth. Let them, you know, let them live their life the way that they think is right. Maybe the, maybe the, maybe the car won't kill them. Who knows? Let's just see. Or maybe they're about to fall off of a cliff. Would you not say, wait, cliff? Or would you say, well, it's let them do them. Let them be them. Maybe they'll float. I don't know. We don't know. It could happen, but no. So then in verses 20 through 26, Daniel tells him the truth. Daniel explains in verses 20 through 26, Daniel explains that the tree represents the king. In fact, he says it like, exclaims it like, it's you, like exclamation point king. And that the king would be cut down from being the king and he would live among the animals and essentially lose his mind for seven years. So that all may know, especially the king, that God and the kingdom of heaven is sovereign and in control of everything and that he is over all things. That that's the point of the dream. 
You're going to lose your status. You're not going to be king anymore. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to live like an animal so that you can know that God is sovereign. So after, after telling the truth in love, Daniel gives the king a way out. This is the best part, students. He gives them a way out. He offers repentance after sharing the bad news. He says, King, there's good news. That was the bad news. Here's the good news. Verse 27. Here, here it is. King, listen up. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off from your sin by practicing righteousness and, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. And there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. In other words, Daniel says, King, repent. Repent. Turn from your ways. Follow God. Follow the path of God, the, the path that God has set for you. Stop going in the direction you're going. We talked about what repentance means all the time, right? Repent means you're going in one direction, about face, and you go a different one. Stop going in that direction. King, you've been given a sneak peek. King, this is what will happen to you if you keep going in that direction. Students, is that not what we preach? Is that, is that not what we are supposed to tell the culture in this world we live in? Repent. Repent. Change your course. The Bible clearly tells us what happens to you if you follow your own path. And it clearly tells you what happens if you turn and follow Jesus. Or it says, practice righteousness. Follow Jesus. Follow God. Repent. So then in verses 28 through 33, Daniel takes over the narrative here. It's such a cool way that Daniel writes this. Daniel takes over the narrative and he explains what happens to the king. So essentially what happens is a year after Daniel interprets this dream, 12 months later, a year has gone by. So some time has passed. And this is just a reminder to everyone that God's timing is not our timing. You might think a year is a long way out, but to God, it's like not even a blink. Like it's just boom. God's timing is not our timing. And the king went on. The king went on after this for a while and nothing happens. Nothing happens. So he probably thinks, you know, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm good. Right? Maybe Daniel got this one wrong. Right? Maybe you just forgot about it after a period of time. I don't know about you, but if I leave a room and I don't think about something, I forget what I just talked about. Maybe the king had just, he's gone on his business. And then it says that he's walking on his roof one night. And I don't want you to think that it's weird that like getting up on the roof here at this house, like it's not like that. Back in those times, the roof was flat and it was used as a living space. So this is normal. He's out on his roof walking. He's looking over his kingdom and he's feeling really good about himself. Man, looking over his kingdom as far as the eye could see. And then in, in verse 30, it says, and the king answered and said, and it says answer, which is kind of weird because he's talking to himself, but whatever. It says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built? by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Wow, he's really into some Nebuchadnezzar, right? 
<clears throat> like he is he's basically saying that all of Babylon is there for his glory to exalt him to show the world how great King Nebuchadnezzar is and then in verse 31 while the words were still in the king's mouth as he's saying this about himself there fell a voice from heaven O King Nebuchadnezzar to you it is spoken the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives to it whom he will. Hey, yo, king, remember that dream a year ago? That's going to happen to you. And it says immediately in verse 33, immediately, not after another 12 months, and after some time of his mind going, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Joker lost his mind. He lived like an animal, ate grass. His hair got all crazy looking. His back hair started growing out like an eagle's feathers and his nails were like claws. For seven years, Mr. High and Mighty, King Nebuchadnezzar, has been brought down to a lowly, out-of-his-mind animal. And then in verse... Uh, then the chapter, after all this... Okay, so Daniel is telling us what's going on, right? So then the chapter picks back up with the letter from the king. And now he's starting to share his testimony in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And at the end of the days, that's seven years, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And then he starts worshiping again. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Now, when you first read that verse, verse it kind of sounds like he's saying people don't matter. But that's not what he's saying. It sounds kind of weird. What he's saying is God has no equal and no one compares. In verse 35, God has no equal and no one compares. He does according to his will among the host of heaven. I mean, he doesn't ask, ask for permission. He doesn't have to see if, 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 you know, if they can get it passed through Congress. He just does it among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay in his hand or say, what have you done or, or what are you doing? Meaning his ways are above everyone's ways. His mind is above everyone's mind. Verse 36. In verse 36, he says that he regained his throne. And it was even greater than before. That after he went through this seven years of being an animal, that he came back even greater than it was before. And then in verse 37, it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right. And his ways are just 
for those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He's sharing his testimony. And if a king gives kingship to another king, that means something. See, the king had to be completely broken in order for him to realize his need for God. The king had to be completely broken in order for him to realize his need for God. He had to have everything taken away from him to see and realize that God was all he ever needed. And to surrender to the king of heaven. Everything was taken away. The king losing everything was a gift from God. You're like, that doesn't make sense. That sounds counterintuitive. That's an oxymoron. The king losing everything was a gift from God. God knew the outcome. God knew what was going to happen after those seven years. And it was worth it. It was worth it. You might say, well, how did God know that? I, I, I feel like I've said this a million times. And I'm sorry if I'm, I, I don't care if, if you get tired of hearing it, because I want you to understand how good our God is. Because to God, there is no past, present, and future. There's only right now because he is over everything. He's like, if you looked at a timeline in a book and you saw the beginning and the end of, of whatever thing you're studying, God sees time in that realm. He's ever present. That's how he's ever present because he's in all time at all time. He knows what the outcome is going to be. He can see your path. He knows where it's leading. He knows that he needs to that if you don't listen to him, where your path will go, and if you listen to him, where your path will go. He knew that after seven years that the king had to be broken so that the king could tell the world the goodness of God. See, the king is now using his place as the king of the known world to share his testimony and praise and worship God. And now people can see a change in the king. And the only explanation for that change is God. You have the complete opposite person here in front of you saying God is, is over all and he is king of heaven and he is right and he is just and he should be praised and worshiped. And students, I pray that God will bless you or break you into complete surrender to him. I say, that's, that's kind of rough. But I pray that he will either bless you or break you into complete surrender to him. Now, some people can be blessed by God, and it, and it works out really well. Some people are blessed by God, and it, it helps them realize how good he is, and they follow after him, and they give him all the glory and praise. But most of us are stubborn. <laughs> because God blessed the king, did he not? He gave him the kingdom to the whole known world. He even gave him a glimpse of his future. And then gave him an extra year on top of that to get his life in order, to get his act straight. But just like us, just like we do, the king turned God's blessings into self-promotion. Look at all this that I have. It's because of how great I am. We turn it into self-promotion and we turn it into entitlement. I am do this. The world owes it to me. 
instead of surrender and thanksgiving and contentment in God. So students, the point of tonight is this. The point of tonight is this. <clears throat> Sometimes God's greatest blessings are allowing us to be broken in order to bring us to repentance. Sometimes God's greatest blessings are allowing us to be broken in order to bring us to repentance. And students, when, you know, whenever you finish a, a message, they always tell you in preaching school to end with a real cool story to kind of bring everything, you know, wrap it all together. <clears throat> so I was looking up stories, and there are story after story after story of people who went through a period of brokenness in order to find God, and, and, and it changed their lives, right? But instead of doing that, I just really, I want us to understand and think about the dramatic change that happened in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. I mean, this wasn't just some fictitious character in a book. This is a real-life human being. And even if you don't think the Bible's real, he's in the history books. Like, go Google it. He's there. He went from an egomaniac, idol-worshiping rage monster to a humble, peaceful worshiper of God. Only God can make Nebuchadnezzar realize his need for a savior. And I pray that God would bless you or break you in order that you would come to repentance and surrender to him. And I ask this before we close. What is God breaking you out of? Or what is God breaking you through in order for you to fully surrender your life to him? What is God breaking you out of or breaking you through in order for you to fully surrender your life to him? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that you allow us to be broken in order for us to come to repentance and surrender to you. God, I thank you that you allow these events to happen in the, in the King Nebuchadnezzar's life to show us that it's only through your goodness and your strength and your power that people change. It's not about doing as much good as we can to outweigh the bad. It's not about aligning our chakras. It's not about trying to be a good person. It's not trying, it's not about saying uh, the right prayers in a certain tone and to a certain saint that it, it, it's all about surrendering and repenting. And I just pray that these students and everyone that can hear my voice right now has come to a repentance, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that they will do it now. At a young age, before so many things happen in their life that could make it even harder for them one, one day when it's time, that, that, that you will spare them from having to be broken in order to come to a saving knowledge of you. But I pray that if they're at that point, I pray you will break them or bless them. Whatever it takes to, to help them come to that place in their life where they realize that they're a sinner and that their sins are sending them to hell and that you came to be the propitiation for our sin, the payment that satisfies to redeem us and to reconcile us with the Father, and that we can spend forever with you.
God, I pray that we will be a people of repentance, of surrender, of thanksgiving, of humility, a people that surrender and serve a great God and share his goodness to the whole world. I thank you for these students who are here tonight, those who are joining us um, through all of our different social media platforms. I just pray you would bless them. And we thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.